Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. This is the final uh, part of a seven-part series, and if the guys can put the slides up for me, that will be useful. Um, it's the final part of a seven-part series, and uh, it just so happens that the statement that Jesus made, I am the resurrection and the life, falls on Easter Sunday for us today, and it's fantastic. So excited about this uh, conversation this morning. Um, but before we get into this, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to make sense of things we don't understand. But sometimes it's even harder to explain the things we do understand. So, for example, how would you describe the taste of coffee? Some would go, <laughs> others would say, yes, it's got to be a Costa. It's got to be a Starbucks. You know, whatever it's... Who, how, how can you describe the taste of chocolate? Who likes chocolate? I just made everyone very hungry. I see those hands. <laughs> you know, it's Easter. Lots of chocolate bunnies around. So... But, you know, um, other things like smells, how can you describe them? We know these things so well. How would you do it? How would you, how would you put into words what chocolate tastes like, what coffee tastes like, what the smell of vanilla is like, what the smell of spices are like? You know, I love spices. How do you describe it? It's so difficult, isn't it? You have to do it by showing a relational connection with something else you know. It's interesting. How do you describe these things? It's through experience and through communicating what they're like. And when Jesus described himself in the book of John with these seven I am statements. He was trying to bring home to us information about himself, to reveal who Jesus is, what he promises to do for us, and who we can become in him. That's what he's trying to do. And the first one, the bread of life, we looked at that in week one, right back over 40 days ago. It kind of parallels the traditional season of Lent, if you like. It wasn't intentional. It just happened to be the way we did it. But um, the first thing Jesus uh, said in, in uh, the book of John that we went and studied was this statement of Jesus being the bread of life. He's our source of satisfaction. You may argue with me. You may say there are other things that satisfy more. I would say reflect and look again. Really understand where is your satisfaction in life really coming from? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the source of your deepest needs. He said, I'm the light of the world, your source for guidance. He's our source for guidance and navigation. He's a light. He's a lamp to our feet. He's the good shepherd, the source of our care and protection. These are statements he made about himself. These are things we understand. Who wants satisfaction? We all do. Who wants guidance? We all do. Who wants care and protection? We all do. Uh, he's the door for the sheep. He's the source of our adventure, discovering a kingdom and, and finding rest. He's the source of these things. He said he's the way, the truth and the life. He's the source of our wisdom for life. He's the wisdom and direction. Boy, we see plenty of people making mistakes around us. and We don't want to make those mistakes. We want to make the right decisions. We want to be wise as we live. We want to have a good life. So we have to go to the source. He said, um, I am the true vine. <coughs> The source of our fruitfulness. We heard that last week. And you can listen to all these messages on podcasts. He's the source of our fruitfulness and our abundance. Things that really count. When you're gone, what will people think of you? What did you leave behind? What is your legacy? What is it that you stood for? Has it got any value? Will it just be a piece of history that nobody's that bothered about? Jesus is our true source. 
And he's also the resurrection and life. He called himself the resurrection and life. He's the source of our hope now and eternally. Our hope today and eternally. So it's exciting to be looking at this. So he reveals himself with these statements. But as we go forward, we're going to, this morning, we're going to look just for a few minutes at the story of John 11 and then go into the resurrection and keep reflecting between these two things. So the resurrection of Jesus, but firstly, the resurrection of a man called Lazarus. Who's heard of Lazarus? Say yes. Yes. Okay, if you've not heard of Lazarus, that's okay. But he's been, you know, people know of him. Um, He was a friend of Jesus. He had um, two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus uh, was critically ill. And the sisters sent word to Jesus in John 11. We read about this true story. Um, He was critically ill. And they they knew Jesus could heal and make people well. They knew about it because they'd seen it. The crowds, and they, they sent message, come now, Lazarus is dying. And when Jesus got the message, by then, he knew that Lazarus was already dead. And actually, he decided to wait. His timing is perfect. The timing of God is always perfect. And he said, I'm going to wait so that glory will come to my father. And he waited. And then he went to Bethany, which is where Mary and Martha um, lived and, and Lazarus had died. And he arrives. And of course, there's a huge amount of sadness in the situation because Lazarus has now been put in a tomb. This all pictures the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But nobody around Jesus at the time understood that. And we're going to pick the story up in John 11 just briefly, uh, where it says here, it says, Martha said to Jesus, one of the sisters, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now, what she's doing in that verse 24 is Martha is, she doesn't understand resurrection. She doesn't. The Jews didn't really understand it. They just knew that the scriptures had alluded to something that will happen in the last days. They had no idea. They, they thought of this thing of being brought back to life. Somehow there would be something happen. It was in their theology. They knew from King David and the Psalms. And one or two of their prophets had alluded to a day when people would rise again, but they didn't understand it. It was like a, a, a cloud, a foggy story. Um, and so she's referring to that. And she thinks Jesus is talking about that. She's, she thinks it's about something in the future. But what Jesus is actually doing is talking about what's about to happen. And he goes on, verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. And the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Did she understand what he was saying? I'm not sure she did. I'm not sure she did. I think she kind of did. But when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was pulling into the present the future that the Jews were dreaming about or thought about. or had He brought theology to life in himself. He became resurrection. He is, when he says, I am, he's not saying, I'm going to talk about something that is a power that can happen outside of your experience. He's saying, I am, the person Jesus. He personified the, he is the, there's no way she could get this. She, She mustn't, she couldn't have been able to get it because it was just, how do you get your head around the fact that this, this person is the resurrection? It's something they've not experienced before, but it's something they're about to encounter. But Jesus, you know, in the story here, have you heard that, that expression, the shortest verse in Scripture? It happens around this time. 
Because this isn't a theological debate. This is a time of deep, deep sadness. There's intense pain going on here. And it says that Jesus wept. Do you remember that, that verse, that shortest verse in the Bible? It happens in this story. And the people around Jesus thought that he'd wept because Lazarus had died. They didn't understand. He just said, I'm the resurrection. I'm going, I'm going to raise him up. Why did he weep? He wept because he saw the pain in the lives of the friends and the family of Lazarus. That's why he wept. That's the humanity of God. God is not just a power. He's not you know, a set of rules. He is a relational person. God is the, in the person of Jesus Christ. He is able to understand your pain. He's able to understand what you're going through. He's able to put himself into a place where he, he sees what your pain is and he gets in there. And that's what happened here. Jesus wept because he saw the pain in the lives of Mary and Martha and the mourners around him. You know, he wept because of that. And in the earlier service, I told a story of a time when, when I encountered someone close to me dying. It's a difficult story. And I'm going to bring another one, a different one, in a different context this morning in the second service. A dear friend of mine um, is, uh, lives in, in the States. He's a pastor of a church. And, um, and he leads a strong church. Very a good man, godly man. I've known him for a number of years. And one Sunday, he was preaching at his church. Uh, he's you know, a healthy church, just like ours, and doing a great job. And, and as he left church that morning, he headed, he headed home in his car. And, um, and as he got to an interstate junction, you know, one of these crossroads in the States, he saw there had been a big collision up ahead of fire, ambulances, and police, and stuff. And uh, he pulled up to the junction and thought, what on earth could be going on over there? And he pulled up towards him and thought, well, I'm a minister. I ought to go and and just be available to, to serve the community at this time of incredible loss. Didn't know what was going on. And as he got through the, the he parked his car up and he went closer, he, he recognized the car. And as he got closer, not only did he recognize the car, he realized it was his car. And the person in the car was his own daughter. And that morning, she lost her life. That morning after leaving church, his teenage daughter, who'd been driving home unaware of what the future held, was in a collision that was fatal. Can you imagine the pain of reaching into the wreckage? To oh, could, you, could you bear to be in a situation like that, to, to be watching the life flow out of someone you love? That's the kind of pain that Jesus saw in the lives of the family around Lazarus. That's a true story. This man's life, his heart was broken because of the, the pain. And it's what Jesus saw when he was with this, at this place where Lazarus was already dead. He'd been dead for four days. He saw the pain in the lives of people. And the, the reality is in life, we go through a lot of pain. Most of our time, if you think about what you do and why you do it, most of what you do and why you do it is to stop you going through pain. Do you realize that? The reason we invest what we invest, the reason we spend time with we try and protect ourselves from pain. And God says, I understand that. Therefore, this resurrection that I'm talking about, this is why it's so important. And so in the story of, of um, Lazarus, Jesus, Jesus raises him from the dead. And I will come back to the story a little later this morning, in just a few minutes. But he is the resurrection and the life. He is the you, you cannot experience the resurrection that Jesus describes without knowing Jesus personally. You can't do it. You can't do it. It says in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Do you realize that? A powerful thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
God brings comfort into your situation so that you can bring God's comfort to other people. You know, that's something we should take away this morning. God has put a mantle on every follower of Jesus Christ that you can bring comfort and nobody else can. Why? Because you can explain things that you understand. Challenging situation. So why Jesus? Why Jesus at Easter? Well, it was God's plan. God has a huge problem with sin because sin is what brings death. And the thing we've been describing, the thing that Jesus saw with Lazarus' family, even though he, Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was an incredible miracle. And we'll talk about it in a moment. But to see a man come back to life after four days is incredibly mind-blowing. The news of this spread all across um, that part of Israel at the time. And Jerusalem, it was near to Passover, and people heard about this. They wanted, in fact, it says that Jesus went to Lazarus uh, six days before Passover. He went to Lazarus' house for dinner. Imagine sitting down having dinner with someone that had been dead for four days. Uh, it's a mind-blowing experience. And to share the celebration with the family. And then, of course, you know, you know the stories probably as well as I do. But then we, we look at why Jesus? Why did Jesus go through this? In fact, at the end of the raising of Lazarus, it says that Jesus stopped doing public ministry and went away. Why? Because he's kind of said it all through this. He's shown that he is the resurrection and life. He is the only source. People think they'll be reincarnated as butterflies or whatever. It's just hearsay. It's nonsense. There's no fact in it. There's no truth in it. There's no scripture. There's, no, there's nothing that supports that in terms of experience or, or life change. But when it comes to the resurrection, we know firsthand that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Why Jesus? Because he's the sinless sacrifice. He gave his own life for us at Easter so that we could have the price for sin paid. It's incredible. God, who loved his own son and loves his own son, gave us his son. He gave us his son because sin was such a big deal for God. Sin is not a trivial thing. Sin is not something you play around with. Sin is, not, sin is what separates you from, from God for eternity. Sin is such a big deal that God would give his own son to find a way to remove the power of sin and death. That's what God did. And he sent his son. Jesus knew he was on this mission. It says in verse 11 of 1 John 5 that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. That's it. This is black and white. You computer geeks, it's binary. It's yes or no. It's on or off. It's not maybe if I go to church or maybe if I decide one day to pray. It's about a heart that follows and believes and trusts in Jesus Christ, realises, sees who he is, believes what he says about himself. It's only possible because Jesus, as a sinless man, died in our place at the cross. Only possible because he not only died, but he was resurrected. So what actually happened? Hebrews 9, 12, uh, 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, this goes back to the law of Moses, there's no forgiveness for sin. So somebody somewhere has had to die, or something has had to die to pay the price for sin. It's, it's a righteous requirement of God. It's just there in, in the world. And God's plan was that Jesus would be that sacrifice. And so what happened? It says Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Remember the story of him playing down the palm branches and everyone's cheering? You know why they were cheering? and why they put? It wasn't because they knew he was king. It's because they knew the story of Lazarus. If you read it in the scriptures, you'll see that they were drawn... By the knowledge of what had happened, he'd seen, he'd been the one who'd raised Lazarus from the dead. They wanted to see a man who can do that. And that's what drew them to, now we know it fulfilled prophecy because 
the king would come on a donkey. We know all that story, but they didn't really think like that. They were just astonished that a man had been raised from the dead and they'd seen it. And so Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. The crowds responded at the news of Lazarus. But then we know the sequence of events. As we hit Thursday night, we have the Last Supper. And we covered that just recently in the church in our teaching. We hit the Last Supper. Then we know that the night of betrayal, as Jesus was at Gethsemane, and how he prayed, Lord, if possible, take this burden from me. But Jesus went to the cross for us, knowing that he would be betrayed. And he was betrayed. And in Gethsemane, they came, they took him. And overnight, he was held and beaten and mocked. And then in the morning, a mock trial. 6 a.m., he's up. Well, he was up all night, I believe. At 6 a.m., he's in front of Pilate and then Herod and then back to Pilate. By 7 a.m. on Friday morning, he's condemned. It's a mock trial. This man was, it's a mock trial. But he knew it. He knew what was happening. He was beaten. He was accused. Why? Because he called himself God, that's why. They all knew that that's what he was, and that's why they understood, they understood he was the Messiah. He was mocked and beaten. At 8 a.m., he carried his own cross, his own murderous executioner's cross, to, get, to, um, to the, the, this place of the skull. And at 9 a.m., he was executed, brutally murdered at 9 a.m., but he didn't die straight away. He was mocked from below. They, they cast lots for his garments, you know, was, they shouted abuse at him. He was naked. How humiliating. This is God. This is God in human form. He's got the compassion to weep at the death of a friend. And yet he's humiliated. And then the clouds go dark. But before that, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's forgiveness. That's what it takes to pay the price for sin. And you can't do it. You can't be good. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Coming to church doesn't make you good. Trusting that Jesus paid the price for your sin is what makes you good. That's where the price has been paid. And at 12 noon, darkness came across the land. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he died. He died. They came and stuck a spear in his side. And then they buried him in the tomb and sealed it. But then, on Easter Sunday, the resurrection. <laughs> the resurrection. That was the point that this was all about. The point at which Jesus himself was raised from the dead. The thing he'd illustrated with Lazarus became ours. Your gift, my gift. It cost us nothing, cost him everything but he was raised from the dead. That resurrection that we've celebrated this morning and we are celebrating today, that millions, hundreds of millions of people around this world, this earth, past and present and currently are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And who is the first person there? Mary Magdalene. To see Mary Magdalene, the one who'd had seven demons cast out of her, the one who had arguably a rocky background. Mary Magdalene, who'd followed him. And what does he do? He reveals, she thinks he's the gardener. And he stands there visibly. You know what's amazing to me? The disciples were in another room, it says in John, and they were frightened. They locked the door and Jesus revealed himself to them. And how did he reveal himself? He revealed himself. He said, look at the scars in my hands and the wound. You see, Jesus takes your pain and he makes something out of it. 
He knows how to relate to your pain. Humanity is suffering, but on Easter Sunday, Jesus paid the price for all pain, past, present, and future. He restores every life, any life that follows him, that says, I will make you Lord, and say, I will follow you. That's what Jesus is. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. That's what we're doing today. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. It's not just freedom from pain, it's eternity, eternity, eternity secured. Why Jesus? Our sinless sacrifice. That's what he did. That's what he's done for us. Rick Warren makes it, um, puts a couple of challenges to us. In fact, three, he says, the, the journey of Jesus Christ, those three days from the death and the resurrection, they, they sort of pattern us in life as well. You know, day one is a day of huge pain. That Friday, Good Friday they call it, the day when Jesus died as a human being. And then Saturday, a day when the disciples were uncertain, like in the upper room, they were frightened. They doubted. They weren't sure. Is this Jesus the man who said he was going to be? Did he do what, is he going to do what he said he would do? They didn't understand. They were, they were a place of doubt and uncertainty. And that's like us, you know. We're in places of pain. We've seen loved ones lost. We've seen life hit us hard. We go through our pain. We have our days of pain. And we have our days of uncertainty and doubt. We have times when we just don't know how we're going to get through. But then on Resurrection Sunday, there is joy, there is victory, there is hope, there is certainty. And we will have days just like that. Maybe today could be your day. Your day where actually you come through the pain, you come through the doubt and uncertainty, and today you nail it. And you say, I'm going to follow and put my trust in Jesus. Maybe today is that day, because that's the day that Jesus did everything for. The day that you would say, me. So what does Easter mean for me? John 20, 31 says, these signs are written. And we started our series seven weeks ago with this verse, actually. These signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's not just religious text. This is eternity. This is now. This is your life changing. This is you having everything that Jesus gave his life for right now, here, today. And in our earlier service, I prayed with a girl who was in tears. Her heart was broken before God. Her moment of change. She realizes that everything that Jesus has said about himself is true. And we just fob it off because we're distracted by life's fun and games, this and that, temporary things. Things that really don't have any eternal value, but they entertain us. We're people of habit and entertainment. But God says, understand what the real truth is. Understand what the real truth is. You know, as we reflect back against this, this um, statement that Jesus made, I am the resurrection and the life. After he said that, after he said, you know, the scriptures say that he wept, he made three strong statements. And this applies to us today. He said, roll away the stone. This is the life of Lazarus, who's, who's just about to come to life. He said, he said to the people around, roll away, because he was in a tomb, with a, just like Jesus was. Roll the stone aside. A statement. Get rid of the obstacles that are in the way of you coming to life. Get those obstacles. It takes people around you to help remove those obstacles. You can't do it on your own. You need friendship. You need relationship. You need an encounter. But Jesus cries out, roll away the side. Get that obstacle out of the way. And then he says, personally, Lazarus, come out. He didn't go and get him. He called to him. He said, you come out. How's he going to do it? This man, dead for four days. That's the picture 
of salvation. That's the picture of what happens when God calls to us. He says, come to me, come out. You have got to do it. He won't do it for you. He's done everything else necessary for you to be able to respond. But we have got to respond. You've got to. You have to choose. And Lazarus did. And when he came out, he said, unwrap him and let him go. Why was that important? Because so much stuff in life ties us up. And you can't live like you did in the run of things when you were tied up. You have to find this new life and live that new life that Jesus saved us for. And that's what he did with Lazarus. Band, if you could join me. We're going to be singing a song in a few moments and just worshipping. But Jesus has done this today for us. He's rolled the stone away. He says, come out. And then he said, unwrap him and let him go. What's he going to do this Easter for me? What's he going to do for you? What's your journey been like? The place of pain, the place of doubt and uncertainty. Do you want to be in that place of joy and celebration? To celebrate with a risen king? It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Everything. That's why we saw the videos earlier, the, the videos of people's accounts, what the cross means to them. These are real people, ordinary people, you and me people, people who live in this community, people who live in this church, ordinary people who've understood the power of God. The power. And those of you who saw Hannah's video at the beginning, that girl would not be alive today if it wasn't for the cross. I know that her story inside out, and you can't sit there and listen to her story without your heart breaking what she's been through. And she gave that testimony on video this morning. Amazing. The message of the cross is foolishness. You know, oh, you can keep church. You can keep your religion. I'm telling you, when you see a video of a heart changed, a life changed, an encounter with a risen Jesus Christ, you cannot argue with it. But you have to respond. And then you discover it's the very power of God. So let's stand now as we sing a song, as we reflect on what Easter means for me. Who is Jesus? Is he important to us? I think he is. Let's reflect on it as we sing.